What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. It's the business podcast you can actually apply. As you know, I'm a fan of businesses that are time leveraged, meaning you can grow beyond trading hours for dollars. You can get paid multiple times from work you do once. That's the dream, right? Well, one business that checks that box is print on demand. It's a model we've covered on the show for years with some really inspiring stories. As the name suggests, you don't have any physical inventory to buy and you can earn passive royalties whenever your designs sell. Still, it can be tricky to know how to get started, what kind of designs to create and how to set your listings up for success. This is where Printing Profits comes in. It's the brand new podcast from the print-on-demand experts at Printify. Printify is the leading platform that lets you sell custom products all around the world. The new Printing Profits podcast is jam-packed with practical tips from print-on-demand pros and covers everything you need to start and scale your print-on-demand store. So go check out Printing Profits on your favorite podcast app now. And big thanks to the Printing Profits podcast from Printify for sponsoring the show. Now, here's an oldie but a goodie from the archives from the Side Hustle Show Greatest Hits Collection. It's how to turn your ideas into recurring revenue. Got a great side hustle for you today, one that doesn't require big upfront investment or even a ton of subject matter expertise. It's product licensing, where you can turn your ideas into recurring revenue. I'm joined by Stephen Key from inventright.com, and he's going to share how you can get into this business, even if you're idealist at the moment. You can download a free PDF highlight reel with all of Stephen's top tips from our conversation, and you can find the notes and links for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash invent. Now, we first covered product licensing back in episode 99 of the show, where Nate Dallas shared how licensing a game idea of his earned him and his brother $300,000 in passive income over the course of 10 years. It's it's just a fascinating business, and Steven's got some great insights on how to get started. Alrighty, let's do it. Why is this a good time to get into product licensing? Well, first of all, it doesn't require any capital. You don't have to set up a company, and there's so many companies out there that need us creative people. So they're looking for ideas. And every year, there's just more and more opportunity for us to submit ideas to companies and let them pay us royalties for everyone they sell. So that's the basic business model is saying, hey, I am the idea guy who we just had on the show. And I'm going to turn around and essentially sell that intellectual property to some company who can turn that into a product and make money off it. Absolutely. You're basically renting your idea to a company. Okay. And they're going to pay you on everyone they sell. So you don't have to start a company. You don't have to worry about manufacturing or raising money or do any of those things. And what's really great about it, Nick, it's really speed to market today, right? If you start a company, raise capital, all those type of things that you need to do to be successful, it takes a lot of time and effort. When you license an idea, you find that perfect partner that has relationships, distribution, money. They can put that, your product on a shelf extremely, like extremely quick. I, I feel like people will come up with things and then that's where it'll stop because they don't know the next step down the road. And if that is, well, I'm going to need to find a manufacturer. Or I'm going to need to raise money and then it dies. So here's an alternative to, to not let it die, to let it live on and, and earn some royalties beyond that. So tactically, what's the first step in either if you have an idea or maybe trying to come up with an idea? Great question. The first step is to really study the marketplace and to see if you do have a new idea. Now, I don't think you have to reinvent the wheel, but I do think you have to make a small improvement on an existing idea. But you have to first do a Google image search and see if there's any ideas that are similar to yours. And guess what? You will find similar ideas. That's perfectly fine. But know your uniqueness. 
So you do a Google image search, you become an expert in this micro category. The next thing you do, you do a prior art search. Look for prior patents. Go to Google Patents, play around with it, put a couple words in there, learn how to search for patents. And guess what? You will find something similar to yours. I can guarantee it, but that's okay too. Oh, so what's a prior art search? You're looking for prior patents on your idea. And this is like USPT.gov or something? No, it's even simpler than that. You can go to the USPTO.gov. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. But better yet, just go to Google Patents. It's so much easier. And what's really fun about it, you'll just type in certain words and, and these patents will come up. And look at the drawings first and see how similar it is to your idea. But you, this is what you're going to discover. You're going to see the history of your idea. There'll be variations, of course. Now, if you find your idea exactly your idea, but the product isn't on the market yet, or maybe it will never be on the market, you can always call that inventor and say, hey, look, can I help license that idea? That's one way to do it. But I can tell you, once you start searching, you're going to discover a lot of patents out there, but make sure you find your uniqueness. So if you do those two things first and you discover, well, it's not on the market. And yes, I do have a unique idea because I did some prior art searching. Okay. Here's the catch. Then it's real simple. You need to reach out to these companies and show them your idea. It's as simple as that. Now, that being said, you need a little bit of protection, right? Because everybody's fearful, but you don't have to be. Before we do the protection stuff, let's, let's walk down uh, the road of, of an example. Do you have something from either yourself or one of your students that would be a good example to illustrate what this search and improvement strategy looks like? When I first started out, I had this one idea of, it's called a rotating label. I'd read where there's never enough information on containers for drug facts and warnings and things like that. And I thought, well, gee, I've got an idea to put more information on a container. I'm going to put a label down first, just like there's a label on cough syrup now. Okay. But I'm going to put another label on top of it. And the label on top of it is going to spin and it has a little window. And as you turn it, it reveals all the information on the base label. So now you've increased your space for more information. Very simple idea. And I went down and built a prototype at Kinko's out of paper and I did all that great stuff. And sure enough, I had called a company. It was Johnson & Johnson, submitted that idea to them. And the first thing out of their mouth is, you know, do you have a patent on it? So did you just call call up like their general like customer service hotline? Like how do you get how do you get in touch with these giant companies? <laughs> well, this was a little bit different. I called in. You can always get to everybody, and I can talk about how to do that now because things have changed. It's easier now to get to people than it ever has been through social media. But in this situation, I called someone up in their graphics department that was doing their label design because I had a new label. And how how did you find them? Well, I just called up and asked. I uh, got the eight hundred number. Called for the asked for the corporate number. And when they put me into the corporate number and I said, look, I'm a product developer or I'd like to speak to someone in your graphics department. Now, the operator didn't know what to do. Yeah. Like, Just get off my phone. Like, let me transfer you. <laughs> We're trying to move you as quick as you can. Okay. And they, sure enough, someone in the graphic department, he doesn't get calls very often. He didn't know what this call was even about. So I said, hey, I'm a product developer and I can add 75% more space to your label. It, he, he was intrigued. He said, really? How are you going to do that? I said, well, let me send you a sample. And then he called me back and said, this is incredible. Do you have a patent on this? That's when I flipped out a little bit because I, I didn't understand that process. What happened after that? So <laughs> there, at that point, there was no patent. No, there was nothing. I panicked. 
And that's what everybody does. And I don't want people to do that. But I, that's what I did. And, and I called this attorney. And first of all, he did a prior art search. This is what he did. And he didn't find anything. He says, Steve, you're an inventor. I said, fantastic. So I, I filed these two patents. And they ended up being worthless because I didn't do my homework. In fact, there was patents out there on this idea exactly. In fact, I thought I was an inventor. I was not an inventor. It had been patented 60 years ago. It cost me $30,000. Made a mistake. But guess what? That prior art, those prior patents of 60 years ago, they found my idea exactly. But when I read it, something was missing. There was no method of manufacturing. They had three claims. Claims are really the guts of a patent. I read the three claims, what they were claiming that was unique. And I read them, but no one described how to make it. So when I had a call from a big company like Johnson & Johnson, they're interested and it's not on the market and there's patents. What do you do? Well, there's a big gap. And that's getting back to your question. I looked at that big hole, even though I found the prior art. It told me what to do next. It told me that I need to define, I need to figure out how to make it. And today I have 20 patents on that technology. And we've sold hundreds of millions of those labels. And that's why I live up in Lake Tahoe now. <laughs> live in the dream. Okay, so part of the patent can be like the product design itself, its functionality. But then a separate, even if it's like a very similar thing, if you make it differently, that could qualify for a separate patent? Sure. Okay. What's amazing about patents, you can patent just the concept, okay, or the method of manufacturing, or even how the product could be used. It's amazing. Once you start to dig in, you realize there's so many ways of protecting an idea. But here's the catch. Companies will license ideas from you without patents. It's not about patents. In fact, what it's about is just a good idea. It doesn't even have to be a great idea. It just needs to be a good idea. Most products that are on the shelf don't have patents. And guess what? Most products go in and out of the market so quick that if you waited for a patent, you might miss the market. So patents are not the answer to it anymore. They're not at all. It's really showing the company a good idea and letting them bring it to market. The best protection is being first. Okay. And if someone takes it, copies it, my comment is congratulations. You're selling a lot of product for someone to copy you. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and 
you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So one of the things that is going on in, in our lives, we have a newborn, so we're going like on lots of like stroller walks and like I want a place to like hold my coffee like while I'm walking. So we've been through a couple different stroller attachment cup holder things and little things that like dangle off of the, the handle there. So if I wanted to improve upon this or iterate on this somehow, what would be my stuff like go? So we bought these on Amazon. So we would go to Amazon and see if, if that particular thing has a patent or, you know, or look at the reviews or what? Perfect. That's a great question. First thing you do is that study the marketplace and read the reviews on Amazon. You'll find something similar and see who's making the products. See who's, who's your competition. Okay. And it's really not your competition. It's the companies you're going to show your invention to. So you're looking at them closely. Why is yours different? Why is yours better? Read the comments and then determine, hey, do I want to go forward? Do I have an opportunity? Is mine unique? Okay. Okay, perfect. And you decide, yes, mine is unique. Next thing you do, do a Google image search and type in cup holders on strollers. All right. And look around. You'll find a lot of them. But if you find them, just read them. Don't panic. But if you still haven't found yours exactly, bingo. Okay. okay, there you go. Now you have an opportunity. Do you have to build a prototype before you approach these companies? Like you mentioned, I made up my prototype at Kinko's. I sent it in. It's so easy. You're going to fall out of chair. Let me tell you how easy this is. No, you don't have to build a prototype. Not yet, anyway. Okay. You're going to create a sell sheet. It's a one-page advertisement of your product. And you're going to find someone on Fiverr or Upwork, some 3D computer-generated graphic that's living who knows where he's going to look. You know, he's someplace... He's going to create this sell sheet for you. He's going to take your sketch on a napkin that you gave him, and he's going to make this 3D looks real, like you could order it. And he's going to do that for about 50 bucks. Okay, so now my idea just came to life. And you're going to put some benefit statement at the top, the big benefit of your idea. Okay. Drink coffee while running with the stroller in my my child or yeah, something. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't leak. It holds a tall iced coffee with no problem or something. Exactly. And so you're going to put a couple other features it might have, easy to connect, fits on any stroller, whatever. And then you're going to put your contact information. That is the number one tool you need. Okay. Because you're selling a benefit. And then I understand, okay, so I'm reaching out to the companies that are already manufacturing these. Here's but what's to stop them from saying, hey, man, thanks for, you know, for doing our homework for us. Like, we don't, now we have your idea. We don't need you anymore. Companies, because of something that's called open innovation, is that companies are relying on us to submit ideas to them. Now, this has been going on in the toy industry for 70 years, right? They count on toy inventors to submit ideas. In fact, once you start in that field, they will pester you for ideas. 
So they love you. And, and the minute they take your idea, that starts to get out and the doors shut down. So you're a free resource. They don't mind paying you a royalty on a product. Not at all. In fact, they would love to. I interviewed Alex Lee, the president of OXO, the big kitchen company. Okay. They have over a thousand products. And he says, look, we love paying royalties. We love paying royalties because, because most of our products come from the outside, from people like you. Now, not all companies feel that way. You got to find the companies that are inventor friendly, right? The real big mega companies, forget these guys because they're going to say, look, you need to have a patent. But the truth be told, you don't need one because it's not about protection. It's about selling. How do you tell if the company is inventor friendly or not? Depends on how they treat you. If they're really big, big companies just aren't friendly. <laughs> As a general rule. Yeah. Go to the mid-sized guys. They will love you. So you build a relationship. You ask them what their process is. Ask them what do they need. And you send them the sell sheet. It's so easy today. Most of these companies have an online submission forms. Really? You don't even have to pick up the phone anymore. First of all, you find the company you like. And how do you do that? Go down to where your product's going to be selling. If it's going to be selling at Walmart or Target or Toys R Us, Babies R Us, go down there and look at all the products. And those, and find where yours is going to sell. And those are the companies that you're going to reach out to. Now, just to be on the safe side, type in the name of the company, type in complaints and lawsuits and see if they're having any problems. <laughs> okay. Really simple. Things have changed so much in the last couple of years. You don't even have to call companies up anymore. Go to LinkedIn, type in the name of the company, and you're going to find someone in sales, marketing, or new product development. Reach out to them, tell them you're a product developer. Never say you're an inventor. In their minds, they know what crazy inventors. I know we all are. So send them a quick note. Don't send them a link. Don't tell them who you are and what you've done. It doesn't matter. Just say, look, I'm a product developer. I'd like to submit an idea to your company. What is your process? That's all. And they'll say exactly what they do, who to contact. Now you've got a name. Okay. Right. So now it's not even cold calling. I tell everybody, you don't have to be a salesperson. Your product needs to sell itself, and it does that with the sell sheet. You're just delivering your idea to companies. You're, you're like the FedEx man. Here's my idea. Here's my idea. Here's my idea. And you do it to as many companies as you can. Okay, that was the next question. Do you cast a really wide net, like in, on week one, or do you say, okay, I'm going to, this is the, my dream company. I'm going to, you know, give them a month to get back to me, or like just blast it out as far as I can? Blast it out. No, you don't want to wait. Because you've protected your idea with the provisional patent application. It's called a PPA. You can file it yourself. And in most situations, it's only $65. Versus whatever, like tens of thousands to get like an actual patent. See, the old way, now that, that let, me, let me explain why things have changed. The old way, I'm going to build a prototype. I'm going to file expensive patents. And then maybe after about a couple of years, I'm going to contact a company or start a, my own company to see if anybody wants to buy it. So this is when, once you have provisional patent application, this is where you see like patent pending on like every product? Yes. For 65 bucks. Okay. And I wrote a book just on that topic because you have to write one that has perceived ownership. Okay. This, is, this doesn't actually give you like any protection, but it kind of gives the perception like, hey, I'm, I'm serious about this. No, it's a great tool. You can put patent pending. No, it, it's, it's the right thing to do okay. because it gives you one year to investigate to maybe file an additional provisional patent application. Now, it's not a patent. It's a provisional patent application. The USPTO, which that's, that's who you'd file it with electronically, they're not even going to open it up. But it gives you a date. That's what's important is that date. 
provisional patent applications is the number one tool of, of why companies are licensing ideas from people. And I see licensing agreements every week now. There's no patents, not at all. So that's why this is easy for anybody to do anywhere in the world. You can file a PPA anywhere in the world in the United States. You can submit it to companies online. Easy to do. File a PPA for $65. There you go. Build my sell sheet for 50 bucks. I'm into it $100. Now, confession time. I do not have a patent, provisional or otherwise, to my name. Though I do think Bryn was part of a classified patent for her work a few years ago. But we have been doing a different kind of design work as part of our downstairs remodel that's been happening this spring. That's the interior design variety rather than physical product design. Now, in this case, you can spend hours and hours on Pinterest, or what we ended up doing was just taking a short class. It was Design a Space You Love, taught by Shay McGee on Masterclass. Brynn and the kids love watching her show, so this was perfect for us. With our new sponsor, Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from how to make viral videos to the science of better sleep, with new classes added every month. Some exciting instructors include Richard Branson, Sarah Blakely, Malcolm Gladwell, Steve Martin, Chris Voss, and many more. In the Richard Branson class, for example, which is called Disruptive Entrepreneurship, he's got lessons on how to be a David to an industry Goliath, very applicable to side hustlers, I thought. It focused on differentiation, how are you going to earn media coverage, how are you going to go up against these big guys? And the other lesson I liked was on finding great people, looking beyond the resume, how to narrow down potential candidates. So whether you want to advance your career, whether you want to grow your business, become a better chef, land that book deal... Or anything else, Masterclass has got you covered. You can gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes and do it either from your phone, your computer, your tablet, your smart TV, or even audio mode to listen on the go, which is my preference while I'm out running errands. Now, how much does it cost to take a class from a world-class instructor like the names that I just mentioned? This might surprise you because a Masterclass annual membership, it would only cost you $10 a month. Get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as a Side Hustle Show listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash hustle pod. That's masterclass.com slash hustle pod for 15% off an annual membership. Masterclass.com slash hustle pod. And big thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring the show. Just a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode, Printing Profits. It's the all-new podcast from the print-on-demand experts at Printify. The Printing Profits podcast is jam-packed with practical tips from print-on-demand pros and covers everything you need to start and scale your print-on-demand store. So go check out Printing Profits on your favorite podcast app now. And big thanks to the Printing Profits podcast from Printify for sponsoring the show. This is actually really interesting because we've been talking a lot on the show, one of the hottest uh, side hustles of the past couple of years is the Amazon FBA business, a fulfillment by Amazon, like private labeling. I'm going to find a product that's selling. And, and if you go back in the archives, Greg Mercer has a really detailed criteria of what he looks for to find a, a hot moving product and, you know, make some tweak to it. Like he's like, he gave the example, of like, Hey, there was this bag that was doing really well. It had a plastic buckle. Everyone was complaining about it in the reviews. I'm going to make the exact same thing, but with a metal buckle and, you know, charge a little bit more and everybody loves it. But there's still like a big investment risk there. You're, you're tying up a ton of capital just in ordering this inventory and having that sit in Amazon's warehouse versus here's kind of an alternative or maybe a lower risk alternative saying, hey, this is my idea and who, who wants to sell it for me? After you kind of do this initial contact, 
what comes what comes next or what's the deal look like in terms of royalty percentage in terms of like what's what's how do you how do you tell a good deal from a bad deal well first of all let's go back to that i can guarantee most situations you'll make more money if you license it and people have a hard time understanding that because if you license it to the right company that's got great distribution and you're doing it yourself on amazon right look at the numbers because you'll get a five five percent is pretty average right five percent is pretty average and you're not doing anything you're not floating the money like you said Right? You're not inventorying it. There's no risk. So think about it. If you've got a company that's in 20, 30, 40, 50,000 stores and they're selling so quick, that 5% looks pretty darn good. And you don't have to do any of the marketing. Somebody, some big company is taking care of it for you versus on Amazon. Like, yeah, you're tapping into their platform, but there's still, you know, you're going to drive traffic and give units away for reviews and kind of seed the, the funnel a little bit. It takes so much money. I started a company with guitar picks. And we made different shaped guitar picks. We, I became a Disney licensee with Mickey Mouse. We did skulls. And we did about a million dollars a year in guitar picks. That's a lot of little pennies, right? Yeah, no kidding. And it took about a quarter of a million dollars to start that thing up. Wow. People have no idea. Just with the guitar picks, because you're right, we became a Walmart supplier. And just to do the float from when we had to buy it, to click that invoice on it, took about 60, 90 days. It's really, really capital intensive. Yeah. And then you're building a couple of months of inventory. Before you know it, you got five, $600,000 floating around. It's very different. Most people don't understand that. But licensing, like getting back to your question, what is a good deal? A good deal is when they're selling a lot of product. <laughs> That's a good deal. An average royalty is about 5%. What's really more important is make sure it has minimum guarantees, meaning that they have to sell X amount. If not, you get it back. It's your best protection. What do you mean by that? It's really easy. Most companies are going to want an exclusive. All right, we see your idea. We're going to take it. We're going to spend all our money, but we want an exclusive. So make sure they've got a lot of stores, right? Make sure they're the right partner for you. Okay, so I sent it out. So I sent my sell sheet out to five or 10 different companies. You know, maybe I got a couple of responses. The one person is pretty serious about it. One company is pretty serious. They say, okay, we want to do this. We want an exclusive deal. They'll say, we want a worldwide exclusive. It's amazing how greedy these guys get, but <laughs> basically you want them to be greedy. Okay, so great. Now, what you're going to do is that you're going to add up all the stores that they're in and you're going to do the math that they're going to sell one a week. If they don't sell one a week, it's going to get kicked to the curb at retail. So now you've done the math. You know, they're in 25,000 stores and they're going to sell one a week. So that's you know 100,000 a month. Would they tell you how many stores they're expecting distribution in or you just have to guess? Well, you don't have to guess. Just ask them, what stores are you in? Okay. So now you realize, wow, they're going to sell, you know, a couple million units uh, a year easy. My uh, royalties on the wholesale price. And so now I've got an estimate of what I'm going to make, right? So now I'm going to give you an exclusive. Now, if I give you an exclusive and I don't have any type of performance clause, I just gave it to you for free. Yeah. So I have to have some type of minimum that you have to sell. If you don't sell it, maybe you get bored with it. Maybe you do a lousy job. Hey, I, I need to get it back. So you set the minimum guarantees. The first year, very, very low. Second year is a little higher. And then the third year is you hit them between the eyes with it. Make sure they're doing a good job. And this is on, you know, number of unit sales or like money in your pocket? So it really comes. The, the rotating label that I just mentioned, the, the minimum guarantees were $750,000 for me. They had to sell with royalties coming to me. They had to sell that much. So, okay, now this is free for you to license to somebody else. 
Yes. And guess what? They paid for all the patents too. Oh, okay. So they paid for 13 patents. They went in a different direction. They gave it all back to me after five years. So then I licensed it to another company. I've been doing that for 20 years. Oh, okay. It's a fun game. It's really fun. Even when they mess up, it's even fun. Because then you get it back, find somebody else to take it. It's interesting. But what I like about it, you can kind of design your life. See, it's a different mindset. Live where you want to live and work as hard as you want to. It takes time to get started. And like anything else, you have to you have to dive into it, right? And yeah. there's things to do to be successful. You have to educate yourself. But the trick is come up with a lot of ideas and submit them to a lot of companies. Kind of casting that wide net, kind of a shotgun approach at the beginning. Do you have any like brainstorming exercise? I know we just did a we just did a full episode with Don, the idea guy, who had you know some really cool uh, ideas for you know making sure you turning yourself into an idea machine and practicing this creative practice each day. But just wanted to get your take on it as well. Like, what's your brainstorming session look like, or how are you coming up with these ideas? Well, that's wonderful. I used to tell my wife I can go outside and pluck a an idea from my apple tree any day I want. And the way you do that, it is discipline. To me, it, it's I play games that allow me to question things and be curious and look at things differently. And by playing those games, that child comes out of what if, or you just have the freedom to to be silly. You have the freedom to think differently. And you can apply, I apply those same games to, I don't care, tennis shoes, toasters, doesn't matter. I can apply the same thought process. It's, It's a it's a way of coming up with variations and looking at things very, very differently. Wait, are we talking like mental games? Or are we talking like Monopoly? Well, I'll give you an example. I love to play basketball. I've been playing basketball all my life. And I had this little Nerf basketball game in my office. But it had a square little backboard. It was plastic. It's plastic. It was from Ohio Art. And they had the license of Michael Jordan. So it had a little sticker of Michael. It's really teeny. Mm-hmm. Well, I love Michael Jordan. So I went down, bought a poster and put the poster of him on the back of the backboard. So it wasn't square anymore. You see, I just changed the shape. Okay. That was one variation. What can you change? Well, why does it have to be square? It doesn't. Sure. Why does it have to be white? No, let's put graphics. Why does it have to be plastic? No, let's put cardboard. Let's lower the cost. Okay. Why does it have to be in a box? Well, it doesn't. It could be in a clamshell. So I did all those things, sent it to Ohio Art. Three days later, I had a notice back. They loved it. It sold for 10 years. Wow. That prototype. I think costs probably $10. First year was $100,000 in royalties. Wow. Yeah, it happens all the time. And so what's really amazing, and I think what's really important, people have to realize that creative muscle, you have to be disciplined to exercise it because we're all creative. So I just found a games to play. And that one game I just talked about, what if? What if I change the shape? What if I add sound to it? What if, what if, what if? And I started changing it, right? And there's all these other games to play. But once you realize how to do that, you're looking for variations. You're trying to come up with something new and different. You're trying to find how to improve upon it. And once you practice that, you can do it whenever, wherever you want. I like it. Really cool. Uh, really cool business idea, Stephen. Thank you for joining me. Is there anything else that, you know, very, very newbies to this business model? Like, or what question am I not asking that I, that I should probably uh, quiz you on before I let you go? I think you've asked some really great questions. I think before you do anything, educate yourself, right? And do that with podcasts or do that with books or do that with, better yet, find someone that's doing it and ask them, get as close as you can to that individual, suck all that information out of them. That's what you want to do. 
ask a lot of questions, be curious. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. It's inventright.com and inventright TV on YouTube. Stephen, thanks so much for joining me. We'll uh, wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. Stay young, stay curious, get a lot of exercise and dance. Dance, baby. (laughs) All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you soon. Okay. So my top takeaways from this conversation with Stephen, number one is If you're looking for ideas, he says Amazon reviews are the largest free focus group on the planet. You can find uh, some inspiration in there for certain. Uh, Number two is the concept of being an inventor seems uh, seems really daunting, at least to me. Like I have this vision of like the mad scientist like locked up in his lab. And maybe that's why Stephen prefers the the term product developer instead. But the truth is most inventions are iterative and evolutionary rather than revolutionary. And what I mean by that is, or, or maybe they combine two things that haven't been combined before. Like even examples like Tesla, like we've had batteries for years and we've had cars for years, maybe uh, batteries, maybe not to that capacity, but they had yet to be combined in that fashion. So takeaway number three is the, the idea that manufacturing is inherently difficult, but licensing is simple. Like let somebody else that already has the manufacturing expertise handle it and, you know, then take care of the marketing stuff too. So if you're looking, for example, at the Amazon FBA business, like we talked about, but you're intimidated by the startup costs, like, oh, I've got a 500 quantity uh, minimum order and these things are going to cost $10 a piece landed. All of a sudden that's $5,000. So licensing appears to be a lower risk alternative with some great upside as well. And Stephen even said, hey, you're you're going to set yourself up to make way, way more if you get it in the hands of the right company and they can really sell this thing through their existing distribution channels. So those are my top takeaways from the call, but I'm here curious to hear yours. In fact, I'm going to give away a copy of Stephen's book, One Simple Idea to a Random Commenter at SideHustleNation.com slash invent. So head over there to drop in your top takeaway from the episode from, uh, from this episode for a chance to win uh, a free copy of Stephen's best-selling book on product licensing at sidehustlenation.com slash invent. And of course, while you're there, you'll be able to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Stephen's top tips from the call as well. That's it for me. I got to go pack. We're off to Tokyo tomorrow for a little vacation slash uh, digital nomading. Uh, a nine-hour flight with a three-month-old. I'll, uh, I'll have to let you know next week if that was a horrible idea. But thank you guys so much for listening. I absolutely love putting together the show each week. And it makes uh, just makes my day that you choose to spend some time with me in your earbuds. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 